0: okay everybody welcome to investing with ibd for november 6 2019 i'm your host arusha pierce and with me today is tom dorsey founder of dorsey wright a legend in technical analysis and an evangelist of point and figure charts thanks for being here tom
1: Uh, it's my pleasure
0: on today's podcast we are going to talk about the current markets the importance of relative strength and we will go over a few current ideas so let's get into the current market right now We are in an uptrend. We have three distribution days on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. The major indices are at new highs. And more stocks are starting to hit new highs, too. So the market is starting to get better. Tom, what are your thoughts? Because you are looking at the market in a little bit different way. And your indicators are, are looking pretty good these days, too.
1: Well, if you picked up a newspaper and and you listened to the news, uh, you'd probably be thinking that the recession is right around the corner and it's all over. Right. And that's not the case. When I – I look at – What I like is soulless barometers. In other words, I don't need to read verbiage on anything. I look at the chart, like the New York Stock Exchange bullish percent. That's probably the most important market indicator for me. And that's simply a calculation of the percentage of stocks on the New York Stock Exchange that are on point and figure buy signals. That's all. You could have a fourth grader do it. And when you've been in this business as long as I have, 45 years, you remember things. And this new buy signal that this chart just gave reminds me of August of 1982. Wow. Now, you what? might say I'm crazy, but August of 1982, I think that might be before you were born.
0: No, no, unfortunately not. I wish no. it was. but. <laughs> no.
1: Okay. You look very young. <laughs> Thank you. But August of 1982 was the beginning of a 20-year bull market. Right. And if you read the newspapers today, all you hear about is recession, recession, and everyone's got – an agenda. This bullish percent index suggests to me that you've got the offensive team on the field. You have the football. You need to run plays.
0: And it's it's almost when per- that changes, will change. Yeah, and, and 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 that's you're listening to the market. You're going with your indicators, and you're just following the trend. Now it's almost perfect that you're starting to get these indicators, and the sentiment is still very negative. That that's the wall of worry that gives the power to strong bull markets.
1: That's exactly right. the The market loves to climb a wall of worry, and can you think of any more worry out there? Yeah. It's 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 almost beautiful. It it's is. a symphony of worry. Yes. And everyone is, you know, everyone's sitting back, saying, "Oh, Mark's at new highs. We gotta, gotta pull back, pull back here." Well, I'll tell you what. In 1982, that was the beginning of a 20 year bull market, and that breakout that we had in 1982 was probably a 10 standard deviation breakout, wow. and. It does. Wow. This kind of reminds me of it. So I don't see any problems. If this changes, I'll change.
0: Right. That's beautiful. Now, now you had some interesting. Uh, but let's talk about two thousand and eight because you mentioned standard deviations. Uh, yep. Let's talk about the S and P five hundred yearly returns and how two thousand and eight uh, did on a, d- a standard deviation basis.
1: I came across accidentally um, a normal distribution of the Standard Poor's five hundred going back a hundred years, and. It was so interesting to me, all of a sudden what caught my eye was 2008. And I asked anybody, I said, where do you think 2008 resided on that normal distribution or bell curve? And it was right down three standard deviations below trend right next to 1937. Wow. And that's why people haven't forgotten 2008. It's still in their mind, firmly in their mind. And when you look at that normal distribution, you say, you know, that's exactly why. Right. You could ask someone, well, nineteen, well, uh, nineteen eighty seven was a was a terrible uh, year. Well, it wasn't. The market ended up closing up on the year, not down. Although we lost the the equivalent of six thousand points in one day. Right. You can imagine what the media, what would the media do if, if you woke up Rick Rip and Winkle at the end of nineteen eighty seven? He say the market was up uh, marginally.
0: Yes, exactly. That's so two
1: thousand eight is what resonates with me.
0: Yep. Yeah. It it, it was so. Uh, people still think about it. People are always fearful. They're waiting for that next crash, right? And and they and especially when the market's in new highs, like all that crashes around the bend. And the media also feeds off of that too.
1: Oh, of course. Well, the media. Wh- what can you say about the media? They've <laughs> made they've made everyone in America dyslexic, and uh, you you can't believe what you read. Period.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and that's so like, you've
1: got you, you have to find a soulless barometer to look at and to understand and guide you. You can't listen to verbiage; that'll take you down the wrong path. Everyone's got an agenda.
0: Now let's talk about nineteen seventy three to seventy four. Uh, talk kay? talk about that market and uh, how challenging that that market was.
1: Well, 1973 to 74 was a market that was a bear market. Um, the the blood came out drip by drip. It didn't. It wasn't like the juggler was cut in 1987 and it was over in one day. Yeah. It came out drip by drip. Yeah. And the firms on Wall Street continued to say, "We've hit a bottom. Get your customers back in." And uh, you get your customers back in, and it wasn't the bottom. And then they said, "We hit a bottom. Get them back in." And they continued to do that until finally they said. Put them on margin. We're at the bottom, and that wasn't the bottom. Yeah, and that's when I came in at Merrill Lynch prospecting these very people who had just been wiped out. So it was a it was a terrible time, um, a, a protracted bear market and, back there in seventy seventy four.
0: And and so so let let us go. That's a good segue into your background because you start you started at Merrill Lynch. How did you transition? to point and figure, well, how, how did that whole process work, and, and getting on that path?
1: Well, that's an interesting story, because I, and I'm not sure you want the, the, the length of the story, but it, it's after the first year of prospecting, I had people tell me to go to hell. And that was because I was prospecting people right. that had just been wiped out through seventy three, seventy four. but I had no idea. I was trained by Merrill Lynch to come sell. Yeah. And I'm a 20-something kid. I'm riding into town on a white horse. I'm going to save you. Yeah. Well, they didn't want to be saved. Yeah. So at the end of the first year, I said, if I'm going to be successful in this business, I better become an expert at something. And I chose options. Options then led me to ultimately running the options strategy department at Wheat First Securities. And the first person I hired brought in a book that was entitled The Three-Point Reversal Method of Point-and-Figure Stock Market Trading. And he said, I'd like you to read this so you'll understand the operating system in my mind. Mm -hmm. When I come to you with a stock or the sector or the market, you'll know how I think. So I took it to Virginia Beach that weekend. I read the first paragraph of the introduction, and my life profoundly changed. It was the epiphany. And I'll tell you why. I just recently came to understand exactly why. You see, I am dyslexic very hard for me to read all my life and all of a sudden i come across a chart that speaks to me nobody wrote anything on it i didn't have to read it and when i saw that i said i'm home free this is going to be what i make for the rest of my life and that happened that night and that's exactly what i've done since then
0: and 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 from that you started dorsey Wright. you started using point and point and figure to and and got clients that way and and you're faxing your reports to your clients at that point on a oh. fax machine you didn't even own.
1: No, because a fax machines back then cost eighteen hundred dollars. We were using a Tandy three thousand. I mean, that's that's in the Smithsonian Institute now. It doesn't run anything, and a, a fax machine did one paper, one paper at a time eighteen hundred bucks. So we borrowed oh. it from downstairs. They charge us, you know, for each piece of paper. I would write the report every day and then go down and fax it to all five of our customers. And it would take me till twelve o'clock wow. you know, lunchtime. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that's how we did it. Then technology started to get better and better and better and eventually it had automatic faxes, but that's what we used back then. And we used to update two thousand five hundred charts by hand every day.
0: That's incredible. two thousand
1: five hundred point and figure charts by hand.
0: And, and how long? Five,
1: five years. Did five did 500, Okay, five hundred a day.
0: Okay, that that's incredible. But then then once technology came around, once computers came around, that that did a lot of that work for you, and you were able to explore, oh, point and figure it did, a lot they Did more. all the
1: work for us. Yeah, but I still had to pry the books out of their hands. Which they didn't you, want to give it up,
0: right? Because they were starting to develop such a feel for the market and those that's stocks, right. right? Just by doing that's it day right. by day, marking those charts up and
1: seeing the charts. Yeah, that's right. And that's how you become world-class.
0: Yeah, that that makes absolute sense. You're you're getting down to the nitty-gritty.
1: The interesting thing is back then, while you're updating those charts, you're seeing potential ideas, and they would write them down. Today, with technology, all you have to do is go to the computer and say, give me a list of the stocks that have pulled back 10%, are within 10% of their trend line, are this and that, this and that. Give me the list. Yeah. Back then, you had to look at it and write the list down. Right. Now, you just tell the computer, give me the list.
0: Right, right. So, so it, 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 you get the ideas earlier, but you might not have the feel for the market. Uh, oh, yeah, right.
1: that, that, that's gone.
0: So, now you had, you had another really interesting point when we were talking uh, yesterday um, about 2008, what the stocks, that the, the sectors that were coming up at that point versus yep. now, right? And this is another reason why you are bullish on the market. What were the the top uh, sectors in 2008, or top uh, top asset classes, really?
1: Well, the way we look at it is called the dynamic asset level investment. We call it DALI. And what we do is we take six asset classes, and we put them through a relative strength calculation to determine which uh, asset classes are the strongest. And that's a a pretty stringent um, um, course, going through that relative strength. Back in 2000, and then and then what we did in 2008, the top two asset classes would become 100% of your portfolio. Okay. The interesting thing that happened in 2008, through no brilliance of our own, just doing the relative strength calculation, is all through 2008, no equities showed up in space one and two. Wow. U.S. equities and international equities were in five and six, and you couldn't even get down that low to put them into any portfolios. Today, I sit back and I say, Well, if things are going to get really bad here, we'll probably end up looking like 2008, at least in the beginning of 2008. That's not the case. The case is U.S. equities are ranked number one, international equities ranked number two, which is the exact opposite of 2008.
0: Right. So if you listen to the market right now, you you are bullish. The indices are at new highs, and underneath the surface, stocks are setting up. So let's take a quick break, but when we return, We're gonna talk about the importance of relative strength and, and really that's some of the power behind that help those asset classes rise to the top and give Tom that indication of which ones to look at. Stay tuned. Hey, Arusha here with a big announcement. We have launched a brand new interactive video broadcast called IBD Live. IBD Live takes you behind the curtain to see how professionals trade. Log on and watch live as IBD's analysts and portfolio managers follow the first hour of market action and pick winning stocks. You get to listen to our conversations, see our screens, and ask us questions all in real time. If you've ever wanted to trade alongside a team of experts, this is your chance. Go to investors.com slash IBD live and sign up to get your first two weeks for free. Tom Dorsey is our guest on Investing with IBD. Okay, Tom, let's talk about the importance of relative strength and why it is essential for your strategy.
1: Well, relative strength is is a much more longer-term picture than a trend chart. And in the things that we've created with exchange-traded funds and modeling, we want to be more longer-term in nature. But it's interesting to compare and contrast. Let's say... And here's an example. Let's compare and contrast Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Um, I would ask you if you could could you pass the uh, Pepsi challenge? Probably not. Put, you know, put <laughs> you know, put, put them in front of you, blindfold yeah. you, and tell me which one is which. But if that's all you were allowed to invest in in your whole life, right, is Coke or Pepsi? You'd go to Morgan Stanley and you'd say, "Hey, give, could I get a report on, on uh, Coca-Cola?" You'd have a nice, thick report by a Ph.D., three-piece suit guy from Harvard, and probably an inch thick. Greatest company, greatest brand. Then you say, "Okay, let me let me go get a fundamental report on uh, Pepsi-Cola." I'll yeah. go to Goldman Sachs. Same thing, inch thick. This guy's from Yale, three-piece suit, Ph.D. You look at the two of them, you say, "Wow, these are beautiful companies, fundamentally sound." But I can only buy one of them. Right. Which one? Right. Now what I got to do is I got to bring them to an arm wrestling contest. I need to see which one is the strongest. And we do that by simple fourth grade division. And I tell people, I said, if you've got any children in the fourth grade or or, or nieces and nephews, they can help you with this. You know, it's just to divide one thing by another. So let's just make a movie here and say Coke Cola a $100 and Pepsi's 50 I divide Coke. By, by by Pepsi, I get two. I'm going to add a zero just to make it easier to chart. So now I've got a number that's like a trend chart, but it's not. It's the relative movement between the two. So by dividing those two, I get a number. I plot that on a point and figure chart, which is the basic X's and O's, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And then we, we watch these stocks or we watch sectors. So... Let's say that on Coca-Cola and Pepsi, all of a sudden the shackles were taken off you and they said, you can buy any stock in the beverage sector. Oh, wow, this is cool. Now there's 70 stocks in the beverage sector. What do we do now? Yeah. Well, we do that same calculation 70 times. Seven times seven, forty-nine. we do 4,900 charts. Can't do it by hand, right, right. but we do 4,900 charts to determine which one is the strongest, which one is the weakest. And every time I look at that, I just say to myself, it, it's it's like a miracle. Because you know what we do? 30 years ago, we used to be able to do 200 per week. Tammy typically did it, 200 per week by hand. You know how many we do a night now? No. 14 million.
0: Oh, my God. So,
1: 14 million. And it's not AI. It's just... I intelligence. Yeah, not artificial.
0: Now, were you the were you the first company to divide and do the relative strength on a point and figure no, abso- chart? Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, the first company to do that was Chartcraft. Okay. Chartcraft were the purveyors, the biggest purveyors of point and figure charts back. Oh, boy, they go back uh, probably into the fifties. Okay. You know, it could be even the forty and then, and there were companies in the 40s. Yeah, that's just basic just basic arithmetic. I think we're the ones that brought that concept to the mainstream, the mainline, and if you're doing relative strength, you're going to find it with us.
0: Right, right. And so you, you combine the relative strength with the point and figure, you put it against the whole market, all the sectors, and that's going to continue to lead you in the right direction.
1: Yes, yes, as absolutely. We believe that.
0: And, and, and you have uh, you, you have the proof over 30-plus years too, right? 2008. Yeah. It, it told you not to be st- in equities. It got you back in.
1: We're still here. Yeah. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about that is, you know, back in the day when I was a broker and somebody came into the office and said, where's the technician? And they'd say, hey, he's he's over there in the corner. I mean, he's got that strange tick about him. Don't talk to him <laughs> too much, you know? You, you, you leave him alone fundamental guys were up in the front of the class well 30 years later nasdaq finds it necessary to buy a technical analysis company we moved to the front of the class plain and simple i don't care what anybody says we're no longer that guy in the back don't talk to him yeah we're up front
0: yeah and and uh technology in the end kind of showed the power of, of that system because it didn't require only a few analysts who could go only over so many charts now you can do 14 million charts and really just keep moving into those stocks that have, or stocks or instruments that have that potential.
1: Yeah, we compare we compare everything. Now you can just let the computer, you should be able to run a billion dollar portfolio from a cruise ship with an iPhone. Plain and simple. I would suggest everybody get the four hour work week book. Yep. Not four day. Yeah. Four hour.
0: By, by Tim Ferriss?
1: By Tim Ferriss. And- because the technology is here for us to to be able to do those things, <clears throat> like our system on on at Dorsey Wright system can do anything in the world. You just have to learn how to key it in and say, "Give it to me." Whenever I whenever I see it, whenever I'm interested in the stock, first thing I do is I go over and I click an alert. I say, "I want to see if that goes into a column of O's. I want to see if it if it gives a buy signal. I want to see if this happens. I've got any number of forty different things I can do that I'll get emailed." Yeah. So I don't have to go back and look at the chart and follow it, and and stay and keep the the system will let me know. All of a sudden one morning I get an email and says, "Hey, remember Minnesota Mining that you were interested in a long time ago." Nah, I can't remember what was it. And <laughs> click it. Oh wow, here it is. This is what I was looking for.
0: Yeah. Now let's. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, because it's a system. Now let's let's talk about the benefits of having a, a system like that. Uh, it removes the emotion out of investing. Talk talk about just kind of the dangers of emotion and investing.
1: Oh, yeah, the dangers of emotion. I mean, that that's a killer. Uh, be, people get emotional, and I think there was what was the study where people um, um, fear a decline in a stock more than they do, than they enjoy yes. an uptre- up move? Yep. As soon as the stock starts wiggling the wrong way, uh, they want to get out. You have to, I don't have any problem with getting out of a stock or making a change or whatnot, but let the soulless barometer suggest it to you. Let it give a sell signal. Let the trend line break. A lot of times, stocks will pull back, and that's just the pause that refreshes.
0: Yeah, and and so now you're using the system. You're able to manage a number of different portfolios, including one uh, that's based in Indonesian stocks, too, right?
1: Yes, uh, interesting you bring that up. I have run a model in Indonesia at uh, esamuel.com in Jakarta, Indonesia. And this is a model that we run, it's a relative strength model, so we take the most liquid stocks they have, put them into the relative strength mixer, and uh, we calculate uh, the strongest to the weakest. I simply buy the the top five strongest and wait for the system to say, you know what, hey, this particular stock has walked too many batters, It hit a couple of guys, I got to take him off and bring somebody in and, and change it, I let the system do it. So. I've run this model for 14 years now in Indonesia. I can't even pronounce the names of the stocks.
0: But <laughs> well, you're just following the charts.
1: I have no idea what the names of the stocks what the names of sto- I can't pronounce them. <laughs> but they're on they're the right guys on my ball team. Yeah. And and I just let it run. So here's what happens. The system then gives me gives me an email and says that so and so stock has come out of the portfolio. We've replaced it with this one. And what I do is I I click forward I type Y the system automatically knows that's Yuliana she's my broker there and I say please it makes the changes I'm on a cruise ship man saying okay <laughs> which restaurant are we gonna go to I, I'm managing a portfolio in Indonesia can't pronounce the names and all and my system is watching it for me yeah we have 80 different models that do that
0: Wow well and that's all just it's, the benefit of the relative strength charts just lean you absolutely in,
1: right? Benefit of technology, being able to do it fast, compare and contrast. So what I do every day is, is I have clicked every one of our models, and I said, any changes I want to know. So I get a lot of changes in models. 90% of them, the changes I'm not going to be involved in, but I want to see it. Yeah. You know, So if there was a change in the utility model, I'm probably going to click it on and see what utility came in, what utility came out.
0: Okay, and then you're going to pull up the chart there and take a look. Okay, it's the point and figure yeah, chart. I may, I may or may not. Okay.
1: I might be going to lunch,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and just just let and and you know let and and see if anything else changes the next day, right?
1: Well, not the next day, because these changes, point and figure, a, a relative strength chart typically lasts. A signal can last two to two and a half years. Okay. So they don't change rapidly. They're very slow to change, and we also give them wiggle room because you couldn't, if you had a model, every time that stock dropped a little bit and you took it out of the portfolio, you'd be trading the portfolio. So you have to give it a – it's just like a baseball game. You let that pitcher that starts the game out walk a certain number of people, got a few home runs, and and then finally in the fourth inning, the coach goes out and says, you know, hey, Jim, it's not your day. Yep. And another pitcher comes in from the bullpen. He goes into the dugout. That's exactly the way it works. No difference.
0: Yeah, so, so you're you're writing just a primary trend for all of these instruments that, that you're investing in.
1: That's right. And I also run our in, uh, international um, um, developed markets models at Diff Brokerage in Portugal. Um, I own a small piece of that company. But the traders just run those models, and they're hooked up to our system. Yeah. So the only thing I get from the trader is, just made a trade in Sweden. Okay, I know why. There, we had to take that picture out and put another, put another one in.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful.
1: So that's where the four-hour work week comes in. Yeah. Why why work so hard? Let let the system manage it. Let technology run it for you.
0: Yeah, and, and let the market tell you what to do in the in the end.
1: That's exactly right. Exactly right.
0: So relative strength is everything, and having a system is incredibly important, and it helps you focus on the best stocks. It really helps you focus on. It doesn't matter what instrument you're using. It helps you focus right. on the best ones. Thanks so much, Tom, for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, anytime.
0: That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we are going to have Duncan Rolfe on the show. Duncan is the Managing Director of Miracle Mile Advisors. He advises high net worth families on portfolio construction and investment policy development. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nielsen Charts, make sure to go to investors.com podcast where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.